before the, the band had, had finished uh, singing here, it was just Dwight and myself um, sitting back there, and the lyrics to one of the songs we started to talk about where um, God is mentioned as the Ancient of Days. And uh, Dwight had said that's his favorite title when we start to think about uh, beholding and, and recognizing who God is. And then we started talking about um, seeing God face to face. So we know that the promise to us in Revelation is that they'll both be present at the same time and we'll, they'll walk among us. We'll be there, that face-to-face kind of a thing. And he says, I can kind of get a feel for what it would be like to see Jesus face-to-face because of the descriptions that we have of him. But he says, but to try to, to picture seeing the Father and knowing about who he is, that beholding personally what would be the representation of love is mind-boggling, and I told him, it's so funny that you say that, because it's really what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. So why have I have Hebrews in front of us? Um, even as Paul read that this morning for us, if I was to ask you what you, if to define for me what is faith, we would say things pretty much like trust, and you know, we'd have a few different, probably single words that we might be able to use to try to define it. And yet at the same time, it is so much deeper than that. But this is where you can be really, really honest with me. When you read chapter 11, verse 1, and it says faith is, and you read the description, do you go, I'm sorry, that just doesn't really help me. Does anybody have that reaction to it? Because it's really kind of hard. It's kind of odd in the English, and it just shows us that as far as Greek is concerned, when you're trying to translate Greek into English, sometimes it is a little bit difficult for us to fully grasp what's being said. Am I the only one? Okay, so I'll just say it again. I've mentioned it a number of times. This is audience participation. Actually, when I ask a question, you can go ahead and feel free to answer. It's okay. Um, So (laughs) feel free to chime in. So when I consider faith, in light of what we've just done, how many of you were here for the conference? Oh, wow, praise the Lord. So Tommy and Andy... Uh, they both were able to work through text with us about the things that we can expect and what it is that really kind of motivates us. How do you keep grounded when a world is just melting down around you? A number of the rest of us were looking more at current events. And what I wanted to share with you is that even in the midst of the current events, when you look around the world, you just see it's so hopeless, isn't it? Does anybody look at the world and think, what a hopeful place this is? And... (laughs) You can't possibly do that. You know, we might have those moments, obviously, among our families and, and those, those instances, but the world. And so what I, I wanted to be able to do, and I'm just grateful. I mean, I should say this as well. I'm so grateful to the people of Appleton, uh, the leadership, the people, and the, the welcoming that we always have every single year. Uh, my wife is traveling with me this time for the first time. We were trying to figure it out maybe six or seven years and uh, my familiarity with you is much different in that time because of the seeing you all the time and she's taken notice of it and we've discussed it. And so this, this is the common bond between us, what we have to look forward beyond this world. And so I thought it would be wonderful since I always seem to be the guy that deals with current events, which really kind of to some people, if you're not paying attention to those things, it makes you kind of anxious Other people, it just makes you frustrated, and probably somewhere in between there is the rest of you. And so to to look at it, but yeah, once this world is done, and it's going to be done at some point, when that is, we don't know. 
what awaits us we do. And so what happens in between now and then is our expectation of that meeting. And I want to share that with you this morning because to me it's the balance. And I'm sure that you, you must ask yourself the question, Chris, how is it that you keep it so together? You can laugh. It's nice. <laughs> so that's you guys. I could hear you thinking, that's really awkward. Is that supposed to be funny? Or <laughs> So all kidding aside, for myself personally, it's when I can come to the word of God that that is the balance. I see the world doing the things that it's doing. And if you were here for, for my session, you'll know that I left you with John 17 and Jesus praying for the church. And in, in the first part of it, he's praying for the disciples, but then he prays for those who will come to faith because of their testimony, and that's us. But in that passage, you hear him say, they are in this world, but they are not of this world. It is a, a thing that we should remind ourselves of constantly. Because we are still subject to the things happening in this world. It's going to have a direct result in our lives and it's going to have an immediate effect. But we are not of this world in the fact that God ultimately, we are his. And that can't change. So I wanted to encourage you with that this morning. We're going to do so through the book of Hebrews and then examine what it is that we have faith in. And hopefully I'll be able to kind of put into my paraphrase, my own words, how I view what we see here in these verses. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll take a look at the text. Father, we thank you so much that we can come to your word. We can find assurance. We can find comfort. We can find peace. We can find actually and sometimes we can just get the huge smile on our face knowing the certainty of seeing you face to face, the comfort that comes from it. I ask, Lord, that that would be something that every person hearing this takes away, not because of my words, but because of yours and what you have said plainly put right here for us to understand. We thank you. We give to you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So chapter 11, verse 1 says this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So if I was to say to you, hey, do you, do you want to know what faith is? You wouldn't necessarily just quote this verbatim because that's probably not going to help you. But if we understand the operational way that faith works, it is this. From anything that we would read in the Bible, we would look at it and say, I believe that not because I can see it, not because I can touch it, but because of who it is that promised it in the first place. And God has an absolutely flawless record with making promises and keeping them. So because of that, and that's his nature, when he says, I will do this, then I know that wonderful, it will, it's only a matter of time, but I don't have to question whether or not this is going to take place. I know that it is. So I may not be able to hold faith in my hands. I don't have to. Faith is something of the heart and of the mind. And yeah, even somewhat of the intellect as well, because we have to process information that we see. But the same God who has made promises for thousands of years has always held those promises. So as a result of that, when he makes a promise to us, it is ironclad. It's going nowhere. So think about the things that we consider as matters of faith. What do we believe? I'm going to see him face to face. The day will come when I'll no longer have a body of corruption. I will not get older. I will always be able to see his face and fill in the blanks. Everything that you hold to and you go, I have such comfort knowing that this is true. You, by grabbing onto that and holding it, you operate in a matter of faith. Now, the, the people who love to say that we can decree this and decree that, they love this verse. Because they see substance. And when they see substance, they think, okay, then it's something that can be manipulated. It's not what the word means at all. 
In fact, you will find that this same word that is translated substance is also in chapter 1 when it talks about Jesus being the expressed image of the person of God. Person there, same word as substance here. So what that helps us to understand is what we're looking at is the foundation of why we believe, what we believe. It's the certainty, it's the comfort, and it is the absolute assurance that faith is based upon not, not anything other than who it is that we believe in and then all of the things that have been promised as a result of that. So we're always able to be comforted by that very same truth. Faith, what we believe and in whom we trust, means that everything that's ever been promised is only a matter of time. And he goes on to say this because he's going to give examples. Let's remember that chapters 11 and then into 12 is dealing with a whole series of people that we know their history. So they're, they're instructive to us. Look at what verse 2 says. For by it, by what? By faith, the elders, the people who have come before us, and, and again, as I believe Paul is writing this, consider the era of history where he's writing this, most of the history that they know is Jewish. And so he uses Jewish understanding, and he's writing to an audience that understands Jewish things. So he uses the common history that they have. Those are the elders that are being spoken of, and they obtained a good testimony, a report. So notice this. It helps us understand, verse 1. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made with things which are visible. God did not need to take raw material from somewhere else. He created everything. Now, we've probably heard the joke about the scientists that challenged God and said, we have figured out how you did what you did, and we can recreate the, the creation story. And as they get to their competition, they, they want to grab some of the dirt, and God said, no, no, make your own. So that's the abbreviated version of that joke. So man may think that he's got God figured out in the way that he does things. Look, he's beyond that. What God made, he made from the, the very beginning of it, every single bit of it. So I can believe that by faith because I, listening to guys like Russ and people like that who know these things really, really well, it is clear that God is the designer and the creator of all things. And when it says all things, I mean, that's all things. Even from the raw material had to be created in order to form it. And we know that by looking at it, Romans 1 is a good, uh, a good place to look at for that because the very creation itself screams that there is a creator. Paul tells us that in Romans 1. So this chapter then goes on to give a number of examples. What I want to do is you can take a look at it through, your, through uh, the chapter for yourself. I don't want to uh, go through the entire chapter, but we're familiar with the names and the people. We're even probably familiar with just about all of the stories. Some of them are mentioned without being mentioned by name, but uh, the front part of this, notice who is spoken of here. We see really when we look at from, from uh, faith with Abel in verse 4, Enoch starting at verse 5, Noah in verse 7. But see, it moves on to Abraham. So when you look at, um, at verse 13 and 14, here's what we're supposed to take away from this. And this helps us in our understanding, once again, about faith. These all died. So by the time that Paul writes this, they have all since left history's scene. So these all died in faith. Now we don't think of them as faith because you know we think faith didn't happen until Jesus came around. No, no, no. Because people had to believe the things that God promised. That's always been the way it has been. So 
These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them. They embraced them and they confessed that they were strangers and that they were pilgrims on this earth. Ladies and gentlemen, when we watch the things, I I grabbed this and kept it with me so I would make sure that I could point this out. This is the, the program that we've had over these last few days, the perfect storm. That's just a commentary on the condition of things in the world around us. But see, how is it that we don't get stuck in this? We do like we see here in verse 13. We see those things afar off, knowing that they've been promised to us face to face. And that's what sustains us. We get through these things because we live in this, in this, these things. So once again, verse 13, these all died. These people, they died in faith, in trust, belief, Because of the foundation upon whom it was built. God the one who gives the promise. So they were assured of them. They embraced them. They confessed that they were strangers. And that they were pilgrims on this earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. So think through who these people are. And probably my favorite because it it matters so much even to our day. And as Christians it is an absolutely important truth that we grasp this. Of all of the people mentioned here, Abraham is the one that is, of, of, to me personally, the greatest importance. Why? Because we first know that he was approved of God and that he operated by faith because of what? It's the promise of Genesis chapter 12. I will make a great nation out of you. And then the promise after that is that through you, the generations of mankind will be blessed. He believed that. And of course, he was told that he would have a son. He would have a child, somebody that would come from his family line. Let's make sure we understand this. Isaac is 25 years down the road from Genesis 12. It didn't happen immediately. But ultimately that son of the promise came even after Abraham took things into his own hands, he and Sarah. And they had a child way beyond childbearing years. It was a miraculous thing. But because of Isaac, then we come to Jacob. And because of Jacob, we come to Jacob's sons. By the way, if you ever want to know what a dysfunctional family looks like, Jacob's sons is where you really want to go. But that's fine because that time is not the issue. It's because of Judah and because through Judah would come Messiah. There is your blessing that was promised in Genesis 12. And it's why we're here. If there's no Jesus, we're not meeting, folks. You're somewhere else this morning and we have no hope. It's that simple. By faith, we believe that. By faith, he operated in this. God made a promise. Did he ever see it with his eyes? No. But they're waiting for a home. They're waiting for something that is is far beyond this world. All of these people that are mentioned in here. Moses, it's said of him as well. He gets brought up. But look at what it says in verse 27. It's by faith. I'll give you a chance to get there. I love the sound of turning pages. That's how you know that you are in a church that understands what we're supposed to be about. Bible pages turning. Not on a PowerPoint. And I, I've said it when I was, used to be back home in, in California that I wanted to, if I was smart, I'd make one of those phone apps that as you're having to turn that, it would make the sound of turning pages. <laughs> having to go to that verse. So if any of you are in here go, that's an awesome idea. I'm going to go ahead and create that app. At least give me some credit for it, would you? <laughs> Kidding. Verse 27. Speaking about Moses, by faith he forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he, endured, uh, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So his faith was in God, not in his circumstance. 
Verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch him. He believed that the, the, what would happen to him and everyone else if they did not do as God had specified, that they would suffer the same fate as everyone else. That does take a measure of faith. He said he's going to do what he says he's going to do. I don't want to put him to the test. Verse 29, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempted to do so, and they were drowned. So once again, we have so many examples of how God would say he was going to do one thing and absolutely followed through in perfection. And so much of what he promised to do is still future to our times. This is why we can stay rooted and grounded, feet on the floor, not worried, not pushed around, not taken by winds of doctrine and all the rest. Now, by the way, I I can't let this pass. Years ago, I was watching, these all happen right around Christmas and Easter or Resurrection Week. They will have Discovery Channel, National Geographic, all those people will trot out some way of explaining away the different things that happen. In this case, it was uh, the Exodus and how did they get across the Red Sea? I kid you not, I watched this guy, it just shows you the links that they'll go to. He wanted to explain how winds will whip up in that part of the world and that these driving winds will press down on the water and kind of push them aside and wherever the water is not very deep, then it will expose land that you could actually walk across. And the guy who's trying to prove the point had a leaf blower and a fish tank. (laughs) So he's doing the whole thing. And sure enough, you know, Shazam, he exposed some dry land. And I thought, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And here's why. Because in that same place, all the Egyptians drowned. So you still have a miracle. I don't care how you slice it. God either dried up the land or he drowned the Egyptians in a couple of feet of water. It's an impressive feat no matter what you do. (laughs) But I tend to stay with the text. I'm thinking that they walled up the, God walled up the water and they looked at it as they walked through it. I absolutely believe that because the text shows it that way. So if people say, well, that's physically impossible, you don't understand who God is. (laughs) Physics obey him, not the other way around. Goodness, how small is your God if you have a problem with that? So I watch this, and again, you just have to chuckle because you think man thinks that he's so wise. And again, chapter 1 of Romans, professing themselves to be wise, they became. They demonstrated their own foolishness. We see it all the time. So as we understand what faith is and how it operates, and for us here, look, we can't hold it with our hands, but we don't need that. Because we have thousands of years and example after example after example, maybe from people that we know or even in our own lives when we know that God had said he's going to do something and sure enough it comes to pass just like we knew that it would. How much more evidence do you need when it happens again and again and again? So with that being said, let's examine just a few of the promises that are made to the believer through the ages, but how much more so are they important that we understand them now in the world in which we live? Because think about it, the people that are not in a place like we are today, where somebody's going to open the word of God and it ministers to all of us at the same time, a lot of people are sitting at home and they're panicked. They're filled with fear. And why would that be? Because they have no hope beyond this world. And the one thing that they can have hope in is breaking breaking apart at an alarming rate to them. 
and they just don't see the way that it ends. I'll, I'll throw this in too. There's a, a fascinating passage it's found in uh, the 21st chapter of Luke, and it's where Jesus is answering the question, Luke's the only one who records it, of when will these things happen, when they were looking and marveling at the, at the temple. And he starts to talk about things that will be during the tribulation. And he mentions this phrase, there will be distress among the nations with perplexity. So when you look up the words distress and perplexity, they're very unusual. Uh, the distress is only used in one other place, and it's used by, uh, speaking, spoken by Paul in the book of Acts, where he talks, it's actually translated as anguish. There's anguish. And the perplexity is only used there in that passage in Luke. But it means this. The, the distresses is like being stuck together when you're pressed in and you can't move backward, forward, side to side. Anybody ever been in an elevator that you, there's not room for a, a, a toothpick left? Ever been in one of those? No, you just wait for the next one, right? Okay. But if you have, you know what it is to be pressed in. The good news is that you know if you're not totally claustrophobic other than you just don't like to be shoulder to shoulder with people, you know sooner or later when it hits a floor, the doors are going to open. The perplexity in Luke's understanding is that they're all stuck on an elevator but the door's never going to open. And so you think that's what it's going to be like during the tribulation. We're seeing the run-up for it around us today. We're seeing it. It's happening in the world. People just look, what's the way out? Where's the exit? And there is no exit. For the believer, we say, this is what we would expect. This is what the end of the world would look like as we understand it. Now, how long does it happen? Is it happening next week? I don't know. Could happen today. Could happen next week. I, let's face it. A year ago, did we think we'd be here? So, you know, I don't want to be one who would ever set dates. That would be crazy. But here's again. Faith would make us say, it's an eventuality. It happens when God is good and ready. In the meantime, nothing will happen to me here in this life that he's not aware of. And I've said this before. No one will ever come before him if we were to die today and have, have that meeting with him and say, gosh, I wasn't expecting you yet. <laughs> it will always, to the believer, be an embrace. We know that day is coming and we're not to be troubled with it because the timing's not up to us. It's up to him. In the meantime, we walk with him by faith. And here are a few verses that I'd like to share with you. Um, I just jotted them down here. Let's take a look at um, the book of Titus. You probably all know where I'm going, chapter 2. But this, what, what a lot of times when you read that blessed hope passage, it's, this is why it's, it's good that we don't ever just read one particular verse and then live just by that because the context helps us to understand what's being said here. Well, you're going to notice, you're familiar with where he talks about the blessed hope but if you take a look starting at verse 11, that really helps give you the context of things. Now let's remember something else about this. This is Paul writing to another pastor, Titus. And this is something that we should all remember if you don't already know this. Whenever we are reading some correspondence between one group of people and another, as they're writing that, I'm sure that they're kind of convinced that's the only people who are going to read it, the intended audience. In this case, it's Paul to Titus. God, in his wisdom, knowing exactly what he was going to do, has preserved it for 2,000 years for our benefit as much as anyone else's. Because here, we are able to be encouraged by what we read right here. Now, notice, starting at verse 11, the, the emphasis is our conduct here and now. Verse 11 tells us this, For the grace of God has appeared and brings salvation to all men. And what does it teach us? 
teaches us this. Not only the, the revelation of who Jesus is, but Jesus himself would have taught these things. Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, acceptable, and godly in this present age. Why? Because we are looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who, by the way, this is his way of saying, let me make sure we're all reminded of this, who, by the way, gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people who are zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one despise you. What a, what a comforting thing to read. So, yes, it was Paul writing to Titus, but let's remember, as pastor writes to pastor, it is not kept by the pastor. It is to be passed on to the people who hear the pastor. So do you think that Titus would have kept this to himself or taught this to the people at Crete or wherever else he may have been? He's going to pass this on. This is knowledge that's passed from one person to the next because the promises are timeless. But notice the focus is on each one of us individually. Pay attention to how it is that you conduct yourself, one eye right here, in this world but not of it because we are looking for the blessed hope. The balance between things, which we should be very, very careful of. Another example, found in the book of Romans chapter 8, famous chapter, to me personally one of the most important chapters anywhere in the text. <laughs> now, if some of you in here are really good at Bible memorization, many of you are able to probably quote for me chapter 8 verse 18. So when you look at it, you just, you realize that I am convinced that the sufferings of this present time, they are not even worthy of comparison with what will be revealed, right? So he says, verse 18, considering the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Why would he say that? Look at verse 14. For as many of us as are led by the spirit of God, these are sons, sons and daughters, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba. That's the crying out to Father. See, the idea of who we are as the believer no longer walks around in fear, but we can cry out to our Heavenly Father. If fear comes in, we're not gripped by it. We turn to him rather and cry out to him, verse 16. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And this is a very important thing for anybody hearing me. Is there any difficulty with you reconciling the idea that you're his child? Consider that because as we close today, if there's even a doubt in your mind about, can I actually call myself a child? Do I feel that reaffirmed in my heart and my mind that the Holy Spirit tells me that I am his? See, this gets so complicated for so many people, and yet it should be so simple. John chapter 1 is what, we're, what we hear in verse 11. It says, he came to his own. Say it with me. What happened? His own what? His own did not receive him. What does verse 12 tell us? But to those who did, what did he give to them? He gave them the right to be numbered among the children of God. It's a matter of acceptance or rejection. People like to make salvation such a complicated thing. Do you believe or do you not? Do you accept or do you reject? When it comes to the person of Jesus and he offers you eternity through his sacrifice of his blood on a cross, it's a matter of acceptance or rejection. If you've accepted it, you're his. 
and the Holy Spirit is given to you as a promise until he returns, and that same Spirit would tell you, you're his, not because you're awesome. You're his because he loves you. It's that simple, not complicated. And I'm thankful for that because if it was complicated, I couldn't figure it out. So verse 17, see, some of you are laughing at me because, yeah, you're a pretty simple guy. So I kid. So the Spirit does bear witness with ours that we're his children. And so if we are children, then we are heirs. We are heirs with God. We are joint heirs with Christ. And indeed, we may suffer with him that we also may be glorified together. Now, again, to the people here in, at the church in Rome, their world is not our world. Their difficulties are nowhere near what ours are. Our difficulties pale in comparison to them. These people were being martyred for their faith, and so that encouragement was much more important to them. But we do know what it's like to be a believer in other parts of the world if we pay attention to missionaries and things like that. Ask the believers that were stranded in Afghanistan what it's like to be a believer. It's not an easy thing. But when he says about this idea of suffering, that's where he says this, which is the way of saying, let me give you some balance here. Because it is temporary what we go through. Verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they are not worthy of being compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And then it goes on, the expectation of the creation. It eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. This is speaking about when the Lord returns. And all of what we see is the temporal corruption begins to be stripped away when God restores things. Verse 20, the creation, it was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So from the, the beginning of Adam and Eve and as sin has, has made it into the, itself into the world, corruption has come in. And yet from the moment, have you ever thought about this? From the moment of the first sin, the clock started ticking until Jesus returns. And God's got the timepiece. He knows the last second. He's always known the last second. Before he created time, he knew the last second. I'm mind-boggled by that, but I absolutely believe it. Why? Because of what I just read in chapter 11, verse 1. It's because I have faith in that. Why? Because faith, after a while, you just go, yeah, he makes a lot of promises and he always keeps his promises. So I'll believe it because he said it. It is so simple. Now, the world looks at that and they just, they mock that. Oh my gosh, you people and your faith and your all that. And I just think, well, so what is it that you trust in? Because you, you obviously do. And yet that whole faith and their trust is in kind of the stuff that Russ was talking about. It's in the science or it's in their own philosophy of what they think comes next. It's not based on anything that has a foundation. There's really no hopefulness in it. It's just philosophy. It's vain and it is empty. Well, this one, this creation, it is subjected. Notice what it says in verse 21. Because the creation itself is also, it will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. When God restores everything, even the creation itself, that is really tired, if you haven't noticed, is waiting to be put back in its, not, its natural order. For we know this, verse 22, that the whole creation, it groans and it labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Does anybody read that and not say hallelujah and amen? Do we not, as we watch, I mean, I, I hear it from people all the time, man, I don't even turn on the news anymore. Why not? Because every time I did, I groaned. Yeah, 
Because why? Because I'm watching the world melt down and it doesn't even look like the place I grew up in and I hate it. Yeah, well, that's because it's on its way out. This world system is going to be conquered by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it will be, it will be judged for seven years and we won't be a part of it. The church is not appointed to wrath. We looked at that yesterday. So in all of that, this is all so incredibly hopeful and yet the world has no hope. Isn't that bizarre? What's the difference between a hopeless world and a hopeful believer? Jesus, one word. But it's everything that he did and because of what he did, promised that he would show the father speaking through the prophets said that one would come and he came and he did what he did. And because of that, we say, and he never breaks a promise and he's not about to start now. How comforting. Verse 24, for we were, we were saved in this truth. It's a past tense thing. So if any of you think that you're earning your salvation or that it is not already a settled matter, you're not paying attention to the scripture. Believe what God's word says. You were saved, not will be, could be, should be, possibly somewhere down the road. If you do the right things, you were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not really hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? That's just common sense. And I use this in Manitowoc. Apologies, Glenn, you've already heard this analogy. He's traveling with me from, uh, from Texas. He met us up here for the conference. But um, the, the analogy that I used in this, uh, I grew up in one of those houses that we were told that Santa Claus brings you stuff on Christmas morning. How many of you grew up in a house like that? All right. How many of your parents said, write out your Christmas list? Were you ever more diligent to do a, a command from your parents than that one? <laughs> ever? So it's like, okay, I'm not going to put this just on like a little telephone scratch pad, man. I'm breaking out the, the lined paper, you know, legal pad. And so I'm going to write this thing out. And so, of course, we were really good about the description of all the stuff that we wanted. And, and as I put it the other night, this is the one time in the year when every kid's good at math. Because they wake up in the morning and they see the boxes and they start to do the numbers. Okay, I asked for this many things, but I see that many boxes. So then it becomes a matter of hopefulness. I know that there's some stuff that was maybe kind of throwaway things, but man, there's some other stuff that I really genuinely wanted. And I don't know that there's enough boxes to fit all of it. So you begin to calculate, right? Am I hitting a nerve with anybody here? So as you're going through it, you're just seeing box after box gets open and you're thinking, my list is still not completely fulfilled, but that's the hopefulness. I'm hoping I get what I want. See, because in that kind of hopefulness, there's no real absolute, you know for a fact that it's going to happen. It's genuinely a hopefulness without a, without a real knowledge of whether it's going to come to pass. This is not what God does. God says, I'm going to give you a hopefulness that isn't about if it's going to take place, but rather when it's going to take place. It's a hopefulness based upon assurance, knowing that it's inevitable that it will happen. The only question is timing, and that's all. So as he talks about hopefulness, we won't have to have hope when we see him face to face because it's then realized. And it's one of those places that you see in 2 Corinthians 5 as he ends that chapter. And Paul says, now let these things, or it's chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, where he says, now let these things abide, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of them is what? Love. 
And the easiest way to understand that I believe from my own mind is I don't need faith and I don't hope, need hope when I see him face to face. Love will endure forever because I will behold him, the one who has always loved me and who has made it possible where I'll see him face to face. Love will be ever present in heaven and hope and faith will be done away with because it's realized. This is what Paul tells us here. Verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with what? Perseverance, endurance. So I know that it is common human trait to just go, I know he's coming back, but why is he waiting? Anybody done that? Like when you woke up this morning and you're looking in the mirror? <laughs> Am I giving away too much here? This is what I did. Okay, so it's like, all right, man. I keep hearing people say, go get your hair cut, man. And I, I told you, now that the conference is over and I don't have to worry about getting, getting people mixing me up with Andy, I can do that. So... <laughs> The believer has the hope and the expectation at any moment in time if they will reflect and just say, it's only a matter of time. Then my hope will be turned to the the assurance and it will actually be realized because I'll see him face to face. That's what Paul's making sure that we understand. Here's what I want to make sure that we all really get from this. We don't have to lean on chapter 11, verse 1 of the book of Hebrews to understand what faith is. And why it's an important thing, because it is all throughout the text. Let me give you my personal favorite one about this, and it really goes to the heart of what um, I was talking with Dwight about before we came out here. It's in 1 John chapter 3, and you all know it. We can probably recite this one also from memory, many of us. And why this one would be so easy, hopefully, for us to remember is because this should actually be the condition of our lives and our heart at any particular time. doesn't matter when, this should always be on our minds. Because it has the ability to purify the heart and mind here and now when corruption is everywhere that we see. And distraction is everywhere that we look as well. Look at what it says here. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Comma that we should be called the children of God. Now, if yours is like mine, there's an exclamation point there. Because it's not just some passive thing about, you know, I don't picture John as going, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. There's an exclamation point to that. It's like, pay attention. Get this. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. He's the same person who has written John, what I had already quoted from you at chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. Same thing, the children of God. Let's remember, we didn't earn that. It was offered to us. I know I've told this story. I was adopted in this world at three days old. I was adopted to the family whose name I now carry. So when you see my last name, it's not the name I was born with. It's the name that I was given when I joined the family known as the Quintanas or the Quintanas or the Quintanas or how many ever different ways you want to say it. (laughs) That's a joke between David and myself at the radio station. So I've heard it said a bunch of different ways. It doesn't matter to me. It's the family that matters. And I carry their name though I wasn't born with it. Same thing as my heavenly family. I have been adopted into the family of God and I carry his name. 
And so do you. Behold what manner, what kind of love does it take for that to take place? Oh, I know, John 3.16. He so loved the world that he gave his begotten. That whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. That's a promise, by the way, in which you can have faith because the one who promised it is faithful and never fails and always makes good on his promises. Isn't that cool how that works? The simplest of minds can grasp this. Jesus loves me, this I know. We do it with kids in in children's ministry, right? And isn't it a bizarre thing that a four-year-old can grasp that, but a 40-year-old can't? Why is that? Is faith an easy thing for kids? Absolutely. Is Is it harder for adults? Yeah, sure seems that way because we start to think through it when God says it's not complicated. God didn't make it complicated so that we could grasp it and we could have that faith as a child. So he says this. Let's read it again. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed, endowed to us that we should be called the children. Therefore, the world does not know us. Why? Because it didn't know him. Now here's the promise of the the amazing promises. Beloved, now we are children of God. Remember, that's an affirmation. This is, it's not a question. It's a statement of fact. We are the children of God. Now here's the interesting thing, and this is where we are. It has not yet been revealed what we will be, but this we do know, that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. Why? Because we will see him as he is. So when we're able to see him face to face means that he will have in a moment of time stripped away every last bit of corruption from us and we will be able to behold him in his glorified state because we will no longer be the temporal people that we are now. That is so deep to me to try to wrap my mind around it but it starts out with saying behold what manner children wonderful notice what it says here because this should be the resulting effect in us Everyone who has this hope in him or her, what's the resulting effect? It is a purifying effect. Purifies himself by what agency? The one who is is himself pure. The purification that comes to us is because Jesus is pure. That's what it says in verse 3. Anyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he, Jesus, is pure. How comforting. So let me ask you, before we conclude this do you walk every single day whether you think about it or not but can you say that if it was to just flash in your mind at any particular moment do we all track with this is this our every single day life is it because if it's not it's supposed to be i can i can stand here before you and say i get it and it's not because i have some towering intellect It's because the Holy Spirit has told me so and God wrote it in a book so that I could know these things. It's that simple. I believe it because he said it and he makes it easy enough for me to understand it and the Holy Spirit says you can believe those things. They're put there to get you through this life no matter what the challenges are. Let's end with this. Chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews. Coming full circle. So as he gets to chapter 12, remember, it's nothing more than coming back around to all of the examples that he has just given. So when you read all of chapter 11, you know at that point that he's just given you a number of examples of people and circumstances and all the rest of it. 
Because chapter 12 begins with what word? Say it all with me. Therefore. And that is only supposed to make us say, well, what did you just say? Therefore, what? This is a summary? Yeah. From what? The last couple of verses? No, from the last chapter in its entirety. So because of that, look at how he puts it. Therefore, also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so since all of these examples, and look at any part of history that you want to, God never failed a single person who ever put their trust in him, ever, never, ever failed. So since we have those people to look at as an example, then let us lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run the race with endurance, the race that is set before us. So if people, and how many of you guys, you know, do training and all that stuff and you would use weights around your feet and all the rest of that stuff? Did anybody ever do that? They have those things you could put around your ankles. Did anybody ever do that? Okay, a few. You're a tough crowd when it comes to this whole answering questions things. <laughs> so if you would do that, you realize I do that because it puts an, uh, an unusual amount of stress on those muscles, but it will really assist me later because I'm used to having to move more weight than I ordinarily would in my feet. There's a whole theory behind it and all the rest of it. But would you ever run the, way, uh, the race with those things on? Of course not. And would you ever, you know, would you ever run a, a race with body armor? I guess it depends on what part of the world you live in maybe, but you, uh, you would never do that knowing that it was going to weigh you down. That's the picture that's being put here for us. We're to strip away all the stuff that so encumbers us to this world so that we can run a race that is not in any way weighed down with the things of the earth. That's what's being spoken of here. So what are we supposed to be doing as we are running this race? Then we are to be looking unto Jesus. Who is he? He is the author and the finisher. He's the one who has completed our faith. He is the one who has brought it all full circle. Every promise that was ever made in the Old Testament that hinted at him is now completely realized in him because he's done everything that he was sent to do. He not only lived, he died. He not only died, but he resurrected. He not only resurrected, but he ascended to the Father. He not only ascended to the Father, but he sent to us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee until he returns. He has nothing else that he needs to do for us. So we keep our eyes on him. Looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then he says this, let us consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest we become weary and discouraged in our souls. And the the reason that that's put there is because, again, it is easy for us to start looking at the woe is me. And if I ever get to that place of looking at myself and woe is me, this, this passage tells me, turn your eyes back towards Jesus and consider what he did willfully so that I wouldn't have to worry about what this world wants to do to me. And the devil himself would love to see me go into an eternity separated from the God who loves me. If I ever become discouraged by whatever circumstances there are, all I have to do is look to him. And consider all that he endured for one very simple reason. It was the cost of man's redemption. So then we see at verse 4. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. There is a great example to us. We have never had to come to the place where we have resisted to the point like he did. 
We saw him in the garden. The idea of resisting or if it, you know, there's a few different views of what this can be. The point is, if we use him as the example, we've never had to endure anything remotely close to what he did for love's sake. So to keep our eyes focused upon him. So once again, when we look at the world around us and every single day when you just think nothing could be weirder, you, you find out that it can get weirder. So with that being said, what's the antidote to that? We all know the answer. We've just been looking at it. Having faith in the one who has promised to us that our eternity is secure in him. What happens between here and now is anybody's guess. It's not for me to be concerned because I couldn't really forecast it anyway and I don't know what to do. I just know what I see every single day and I'm supposed to say, Lord, what would you have me to do in this world in, this, in the condition that it's in? Looking to him, the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your enduring faithfulness, never failing. We thank you that we can have peace that we can have comfort, that we can walk day to day in the knowledge that you have overcome all things on our behalf. We can never do anything to take care of these problems ourselves. You have seen to everything that would ever take place in our lives and you have seen to our eternity. May we walk in that truth. We give you thanks. We give to you all praise. For my brothers and sisters here, I would ask, Lord, that you would encourage them through what what we've looked at in your text. And if there is anyone who is struggling with the idea of, am I a child? then what we ask, Lord, is that you would help them to settle that matter today. And as we are dismissed, that they would come down, work that out with people, pray, and seek you for the the comfort and the peace of knowing that salvation is secure. It is a past tense thing, and we can walk in the newness of life here and now. We thank you. We give to you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Amen. Let's all stand.